Welcome to Anything is Potable! Coming to you live from Jay King's hotel room in Miami Beach. It's uh, kind of a somber day, uh, certainly for all of the NBA, but we're going to be talking about, uh, of course, uh, the death of Kobe Bryant and the kind of the tragedy uh, that occurred there. Um, and once we uh, kind of get through that and process that, We'll be talking uh, a little bit about Celtics basketball and how they've uh, performed so far on this road trip. And finally, we'll kind of end with uh, our annual, not annual, our every episode, weekly, Sellers of Catan segment. This is Anything is Potable, the uh, Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Network. I am Sam Jam Packard, professional fan, and I'm joined by Jay King, beat reporter for the Athletic. And uh, it was a tough day yesterday in New Orleans. Um, you wrote a, a brilliant article uh, talking to one of the Celtics scouts. Um, I guess I just turn it over to you about kind of your impressions from the day yesterday and any kind of additional Kobe thoughts you have. I just thought, like, I've never been so caught off guard by news in my entire life. And I know that, like, my personal reaction doesn't matter at all here and that's the last thing anyone cares about but that's like that's kind of the only thing the two of us can provide because it hits everyone differently and so i acknowledge that and uh but it's like like, that's all what we can really give right now like from my standpoint i was in a new orleans restaurant and having brunch and i saw the news I just didn't believe I honestly didn't believe it because Kobe's one of those guys. It's like you always thought he was kind of invincible, kind of above everything, kind of like just was always going to be there. He just felt like like such a force. And to have a guy like that pass away was just stunning. And I think. I think that's why, that's part of the reason why it struck the NBA as hard as it did. Obviously, he's one of the greatest players ever. Obviously, he's someone who still had so much left to give, which is so sad. And he still had so much left to give to his daughters, his wife, the game of basketball, everything. And that's why everyone was gutted. But I think also, like, part of it, for me at least, was like just the shock of of Kobe that of anything happening to Kobe. Never mind something so tragic and devastating. It was so sudden and like just a guy of that stature, you just never expect that to happen and just I don't know, I was I was like you just like at a Airbnb in New Orleans and is just disbelief and then just not knowing how the rest of the day was going to go. I mean, like showing up to the arena, I showed up like right when you, Forsberg and Himmelsbach were there and it's like, we didn't even say like, what up? There was just like an overwhelming, just like emptiness and kind of sadness that was there pretty much throughout the entire time we were there. I mean, I think there was like the actual basketball game. Uh, provided kind of a nice distraction from it. 
Um, and I think we can talk about whether or not they should play the game or not. I, w- I didn't really have a problem with them. I can understand uh, people grieve differently, but it was just the kind of this overwhelming sadness and just shock and emptiness that is just didn't really know how to process. And with like, you just walked out onto the court and you could see guys trying to go through their pregame routine. And like, especially with basketball, the players are so like, they know the clock, they know what they're trying to do, but there's just like kind of this emptiness in the arena um, that it was like, it may, it just was, it was shocking. It was just, there's just, I don't know how to react in that circumstance. Yeah. And I, I think it, uh, it spoke to how much of a impact Kobe made that like Gordon Hayward had spent a week with him in Lost or Newport Beach in California and T- Jason Tatum had idolized him and Jalen Brown his favorite player was T-Mac but he wanted his mom to buy Kobe Bryant tickets because Kobe was so good and Marcus Smart like played against him, didn't have any real personal experience with him, but just kind of idolized the guy. And Kobe was like, I think Brad Stevens said it best, he was this generation's Michael Jordan. And he was like just a larger-than-life figure, won five championships. And it was, it really was as stunning a day as I've seen in the NBA. And as soon as you walked in the arena, it was like everybody just talked about Kobe. From security guards to assistant coaches to everybody was just consumed with what happened to Kobe and shaken by what happened to Kobe. And it was, it really was just a a surreal day, just in a way that nobody wanted. And I, I honestly, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because no one wants to listen to like us sit here and say sad things about Kobe, but it was it just, was just a day that kind of, sh- I think we'll both always like kind of remember yeah. being in New Orleans for that and just horrible circumstances, but there was like just hearing different people talk about kind of his impact and how much, I guess, just respect there was for his, his drive just in his just commitment to winning and, it was like the type of thing where it's like so sad, especially anytime there's kind of an image of his daughter, but it's just, you're also kind of glued to social media and kind of, I thought Twitter was actually not a terrible place. Um, Cause there's just like a universal kind of praise for him. And you just see the kind of impact and the stories. And it was just kind of, obviously it was the worst possible circumstances, but seeing kind of the people laughing about like intense Kobe stories I just saw a thing about Lou Williams and Nick Young talking about one time they got blown out in Portland and Kobe took all their shoes and threw them, their Kobe's and threw them in the trash. Like there's just so many stories like that that are just like made you laugh and it made you appreciate how great of a basketball player he was, how great of a, a worker he was, how his unrivaled work ethic and just like his relationship with his family. Um, and I think that am- among all of it, like the winning, the the scoring, the – MVP, all the all-star bursts, whatever else. I think as much as anything else, what resonated with players was how hard he worked. And I think, honestly, like, that's a legacy that that players can get behind. 
And he was just ruthless. Just a ruthless competitor who would stop at nothing. And the more you talk to guys about Kobe, the more you realize that his reputation was real. Like, he he really was out there working harder than anyone and going to different lengths than anyone would. And I think that is, as much as anything, like obviously he's one of the best players ever, but I think even beyond his on-court impact, like just the the investment that he put into the game of basketball, players, that resonates with them. And, and they realize, like, this is a guy who maximized the incredible physical gifts that he had. And I think... I think that is a cool, cool legacy to have. Yeah, it was something that all the players brought up post game, and it's like they were still clearly shook as all of us were, and they it was tough for them to get words out. I think Kemba said like it's tough, it's tough so many times. Um, but I think your story you actually wrote for the Athletic kind of goes to show kind of the incredible work ethic and. I don't know. I was just give like talk about that a little bit. I thought it was. I saw you. Um, on the bench talking to I'm sorry, I forget his name right now. Who's the scout? Johnny Joe, equipment manager. Yeah. And just like I don't know, talk, I I just thought you had a, you wrote a kind of amazing story that captured a lot of what we're talking about here. So I, Yeah, so I I spoke to a former Celtic scout, Mike Procopio, who basically was Kobe's personal coach. It was a weird, weird professional relationship. Um and they would basically email and text each other and call each other throughout the day. And Mike would put together scouting reports for Kobe's next opponent and also give him videos of what he did wrong, weaknesses, you know, how to attack the next team, whatever. And they would basically go at each other back and forth throughout the day, sometimes till like three or four in the morning. And he said Kobe was just the level of thought he put into everything. And guys don't have, like, another coach that breaks down film for them and goes to the lengths that Kobe had Mike go to for him. Like, they don't do that. But he was always looking for that extra lift that extra edge that he could use to beat other people and some of the things that he would ask for Mike to do were just ridiculous he said before game five of the NBA finals he wanted Mike to put research the Princeton offense because he thought he might be able to like make some cuts from the Princeton offense within the triangle offense and I didn't this didn't get into the story but I asked Mike I was like, did he ever use that? Did it ever benefit him, The having you go through the Princeton offense? And he said he won a fucking championship. <laughs> and, like, that was all Kobe cared about. And it, it didn't matter to Kobe if everything that he asked for came to fruition. If everything he did amounted to a championship, that was enough for him. And I thought that was a perfect answer. Did it did it benefit him? I don't remember if if he had a backdoor cut or used a Princeton cut or whatever. He won a fucking championship, so yeah, it fucking worked out for him. And that was that was like the 
I wish I had found a way to weave that into my story because I thought that was the perfect Kobe response. Yeah. Like, it wasn't it wasn't about whether that particular quest for information panned out. It was about in the the big picture whether he won a championship. In that year, 2010, he did. The thing that I think, and this is from Jackie McMullen's story, is just the quote is from Kobe is what he like often didn't get along with his uh, teammates and stuff. And there's stories about him kind of just going super hard in, in practice and saw some clips today talking about how like he would go for practice because practices should be harder than the game. So then when game seven comes, you're prepared. But the quote was, if winning isn't the most important thing, then why the fuck are you here? And that's like perfectly defines kind of his work ethic and his drive and, just I was like very just like taken aback by like I as a I guess Celtics fan I've never been like a huge Kobe guy uh probably was like a Kobe detractor um there's like respect was always there and it's just is it, it was very impactful to see how much it he impacted everyone and everyone just knew like this guy is a legend and like me and you obviously like we throw around the term legend a lot like just goofing around but like that term absolutely applies to Kobe Bryant and it's just it was striking just how every single person in that arena and like uh especially on the court I thought when they were doing the the tributes the 24 seconds of silence the 24 second violations it was just everyone kind of recognizing that fact and it was obviously it's horrible circumstances but I thought like the way that basketball community has kind of like come together and universally been like this guy was like, he mattered that much. I just thought it was like, obviously this is hedge. Like I don't think wanted none of this to happen, but I thought it was just like a cool moment how everyone, like it was just so obvious that this guy was a legend. Yeah. And there were like, there were no questions for either coach about anything else. Like Zion was in his third game everyone knew that didn't matter. It didn't matter because Kobe was what mattered. And that's it. That's that's kind of as that's as as clear as you can put it about what type of legacy he had that right now the biggest phenom young phenom in sports just didn't matter compared to him. All right, I think, like we've said enough, I don't think we're the best voices for this, but um, personally I found, like, the actual focusing on the game to be a very welcome distraction, and it was nice to be able to just play basketball or watch basketball again and tweet about what's going on. Uh, the Celtics lost to the Pelicans, um, just came out very flat in the first quarter, and the Pelicans were shooting the lights out of the ball, especially from distance. Uh, Jason Tatum did not play, uh, but Jalen Brown was back. The health, like the Pelicans team, when it's healthy, like when the team's so much different than the the team that the Celtics blew out a couple weekends ago. Drew Holiday was back, Derek Favors was back, Zion was back, and the Celtics just couldn't really stop them on offense to start the game. And I thought they did an impressive job of of kind of uh, battling back, especially with like who they had on the court. But you can't fall down like twenty points and expect to be in a lot of games. Yeah, and I think one thing that really stood out was New Orleans' physicality. Like when Favors is out there and Zion's out there and Drew Holiday's point guard, Lonzo Ball is the other guard at like 6'6 and long. 
they're just huge. And you have to commit so much attention to any like drives that rotating the shooters just yeah, becomes like so much the harder. The Celtics often had Marcus Smart guarding Zion. It's like good luck. <laughs> good luck. Like Marcus Smart can guard most humans. Zion is a different animal. And Zion is going to be a problem as long as he stays healthy. I am pretty high on New Orleans' young core because I like Brandon Ingram a lot. I think a lot of their complimentary pieces, like Lonzo, I I shouldn't lump Drew Holiday in a comp, as a complimentary piece because he's their best player. Um, but he's another guy that's really good. And like they have a lot of legitimate NBA players on that team. And when they huge. have J.J. Redick just coming off the bench and he can just, like, J.J. Redick's been a pest in this league for years and he's their sixth man. And I thought that was one of the, the stories of the game was the Pelicans had shooters everywhere and the Celtics, the did not. Celtics like, their second unit for the second half was basically, like, Kemba Walker and four dudes who never play. And to, like, was, credit to them, they, like, actually... Played decently. Yeah. Vince Aporia had the best stint of probably his life. He was battling on the glass. Night and day from where he was in Orlando. Um, and I thought they like really played solid defense and kind of made that a game. But you're right. They didn't They didn't contribute to scoring. It was basically just Kemba keep us in this game. And, and that, was, that's a, one of his great skills, I think. Yes. And the Celtics aren't built to take advantage of it a lot. But every once in a while when they're shorthanded... Especially with Tatum out, they've needed it the past Brad, two games. Brad Stevens just decides, like, okay, we are going to rest all of our other man guys, and we're going to throw Kemba out there with, I think it was Carson Edwards, Javante Green, Vincent Poirier, and was it Shemi? Yeah. And, I mean, that unit is basically saying, Kemba, if you don't do everything... We will do nothing. And he pretty much did everything. And he did. He, he was unbelievable. And I think that's, like, when the Celtics do get shorthanded, that's a huge, huge benefit for Brad Stevens that Kemba could take four dudes from the crowd and have an average NBA offense. Yeah. And it's the same thing he did in the first half against the Magic. Uh, just ability to turn it on um, and give the Celtics that scoring I think it shows like uh, kind of a good sign in the playoffs, even if they're at full strength, if you need just a guy to go get you buckets, he can do it. I think it was certainly harder for him to do it against the Pelicans with Drew Holiday uh, being there on defense. And I just think the Pelicans' physicality had a huge impact. I mean, how many fouls did the Celtics commit in the third quarter just trying to fight over screens? It was kind of uh, ridiculous. I will say, I think... I don't know, the, the kind of the bench unit that made with Kemba that kind of made the brief comeback to kind of make it a game, it kind of feels like kind of an aberration because we're never really going to see those guys. But against the Magic in the se- at the end of the second half, in the fir- uh, or end of the first half and start of the third quarter, and against the Grizzlies kind of around the same t- time period, the Celtics' defense really locked in and I thought like did an excellent job of taking over the game. Um, and so I don't know... If it's the great film session before the Lakers game, which is the reason for that, maybe it's just health, but they're able to do it without Jalen and Jason in the Magic game. Kind of did it in the Pelicans game. It feels like they 
I don't know if they figured something out or maybe it's just the opponents or maybe it's the schedule, but they definitely um, have this, uh, I don't know, flip the switch, but it felt like they did that in the Ma- uh, Magic game. It felt like they, they definitely did that in the Grizzlies game. And so for a team that was really struggling, losing six of eight and their defense was very sloppy, I think that's a, a pretty good sign for the uh, Celtics moving forward. Yeah, the Magic game, I thought was a, just a really good win for the Celtics. Like you don't have Brown, you don't have Tatum. And Kemba was was just ridiculous in the first half to keep them in it. And then Hayward. Hayward had an amazing run with Kemba on the bench. Hayward was great. Javante Green made some big defensive plays. Grant Williams was shooting confidently. He also made some big plays at the rim. Yeah, that was was a, a game where, like, to be down 16 on the road without two of your best five players and two guys who are really, really important to your identity as a switching, versatile, dynamic unit. To to win that game was impressive. To come back in New Orleans and kind of throw a dud was a little disappointing. Um, but, again, like when the Celtics are down Tatum, Tatum matters a lot on both ends of the court. And I think you see it when he's out it's very clear that they're not nearly as dynamic. Their units aren't nearly as as versatile. And And the defense just, he's provides so much length, especially off ball, um, and it's just constantly getting steals and things like that. And and the shooting, too. Like, without him and Kemba, they're just, like, those are their high-volume, solid percentage or better guys. And when they don't have those guys, like, they just don't have a lot of shooting. The thing that's crazy about that New Orleans game is Kemba was played 38 minutes and I think was a plus four, and they lost by 15. So in those 10 minutes where he didn't play, the Celtics just couldn't score, and it's just, like, how much of an impact he makes. And so Tatum is so important for those moments just to be that other guy when Kemba's on the bench. And... I know Hayward had it came up big in the Magic game, but just it wasn't necessarily in the cards. Smart, I think, had a tough night shooting ever since he rolled his ankle. He was sick. He was just, sick. He was. He uh, he didn't reveal that to anyone except uh, New Orleans flu because I certainly came down with that after the game. He uh, he didn't initially want to talk to reporters, I guess, but I didn't hear that, so I went over and talked to him anyway. <laughs> and afterward. After I heard that he was didn't want to talk, I was like, oh, sorry, man. I didn't realize you didn't want to talk. He said, oh, yeah, I was just feeling sick, so I didn't want to get anyone else sick. So the kid may be sick now. Ooh, I'm so glad we're podcasting right but now in your Mar- hotel Marcus Smart was under the weather in New Orleans. That could contribute to the fact that he wasn't great. The Celtics have a huge game coming up uh, against the Heat just in terms of standings. And um, just it's going to be an interesting way to uh, – to finish the road trip, now it's time for the Grant Williams Settlers of Catan table. These are the four guys who have been most deserving on the Celtics uh, of being recognized. And I've actually, since we last did this, I've played Settlers of Catan with Grant Williams. He wiped the floor with me. The guy's very good at the game. Um, what did you expect? That's I part w- of his brand. I'm pretty good at it. I came out, I, my problem is I came out too aggressive. I was trying to impress him a little bit. Sources say... You were taking a lot of time with your moves. 
kind of kind of playing an annoying who are you talking style. To? B-Rob, Chris Forsberg, who I'm, just learned the game. I'm just saying. I'm I know saying. everyone at that table. Sources said. Sources say reveal your sources. Sources said you were taking way too much time. Sources say Grant Williams said I was the most the player to be feared most out of uh, all the opponents. Sources say in the locker room he was. It's called it's called bravado because he's scared of me. He didn't talk shit to B Rob or Nicole because he doesn't think about them. But we'll have to get Grant on the podcast to discuss. But I'm just saying I've been at the Catan, Grant Williams Catan table, so well, we're I gonna know. have to bleep out B Rob and Nicole's names because we don't speak them on the. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> that's fair. First person at the table or Forsberg. We'll, we'll bleep him out. <laughs> yeah, too. bleep it all out. Smelty, bleep him out. <laughs> Kemba Walker, number one. Has to be. I mean, the guy just stepped up and was huge in all three games, uh, kind of for this Catan period. He's been extremely dynamic. We've we've talked about how great he's been. He's clearly number one. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Who's Javante? No, Javante had his best two games Gordon, of his career. Gordon Hayward. He had a very good stretch in that third okay, quarter of okay, that Maverick uh, okay. Magic game. Javante had, like, three pretty good stints. Maybe he deserves it. And he did two dope-ass dunks right in my face when I was sitting baseline the at the Magic game. The one where he, like, double-pumped in midair was insanity. And, was, then, and then in New Orleans when he came in and threw back the, the put-back, I'm on board with Javante. I think. I think he just gets it for his defense alone. Like, he... I've... Did not think I thought of him as a very athletic player, but he did a very good job. I think in the Memphis game, especially in the Magic game. The Memphis game, no, the Memphis game I thought was his best stint. Like he was just doing everything, and then Orlando, he was Brad hyped him. Brad yeah, really for shutting down him. Terrence Ross. Brad hyped him, um, but I thought I thought the Memphis game he was like on point the whole time. He's he's played well lately for sure, and the Celtics. Obviously, they're looking for another perimeter option. They need something from the bench. So, and so if he being, does emerge, being productive is helpful. If he does emerge, and he has been emerging, then that helps. I still think they just need shooting. They did not have a single bench three against New Orleans. And obviously, part of that is Jason Tatum's out, and they had to start Marcus Smart, who would normally be on the bench. But... They need another shooter. It's just like New Orleans brought J.J. Redick off the bench. They brought Javante Green off the bench. And Javante Green has his purposes, but it's like the difference in shooting between what the Celtics can bring off the bench and what a lot of teams can bring off the bench is just stark. There's a big contrast. And so Javante's emergence is really... Helpful, but he's not a shooter. But they, I still think, like shooting is glaring. the The need for shooting is glaring. Who else? I I would like to nominate Danny Two Blocks, Daniel Tice. Yeah, Tice Tice deserves it. Tice played his ass off against the Magic. Uh, Vucevic really did nothing of value, and Tice, um, I thought, was just dynamic on offense. Knocked down a couple threes. Was making plays. Um, and then he survived injury against the Pelicans. Yeah, you immediately thought he looked, I, like his leg exploded. It looked, like, it looked like he hyperextended his leg, and then he was just playing 
five minutes later. Uh, yeah, I was up in the press room. You guys were giving me shit because <laughs> well, yeah, it happened. Like, like, oh, oh my god, he's man. dead. That, that could be bad. And then he was just good. But but yeah, Tice. Tice definitely deserves it. So what do we got right now? Kemba, Javante, Tice, and Hayward. You think Hay- well, Hayward didn't do anything against the Pelicans? He had a very nice stint against the Hayward had twenty three against the Pelicans. It's a fair point. He, he also the in the Magic game um, threw a pass that rocked someone right in the dome in the front row, which was uh, fantastic. Yeah, that was ill advised. But other passes that he threw were dimes. And After that game, uh, we were talking to Hayward in the locker room, and he made some offhanded comment about how like the team would have done so much better if he wasn't throwing the ball away. And then I said, "You hit someone in the head, and it was awesome." And I thought it was hilarious, but he did not react whatsoever. He just apologized to him. So um, maybe I'm a bit biased there. I thought it was a good joke. Yeah, probably not. It was Corrales laughed. Forsberg laughed. That's not a good barometer. <laughs> oh, so you're the only barometer for what's going Bleep those out. Smokes. <laughs> the only other person I can think of is Grant, but because I thought he had a very solid game against the Magic, was knocked down three threes, uh, shot without hesitation, but I think I might be biased because we're now Catan uh, nerd butts. So um, I'll give it to you. I'll defer to Hayward, his big game uh, in both the Magic and I guess the 23 points in uh, New Orleans helped. Good. Good? I'm glad you saw the light. Thank you. I did. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast. If you like it, please subscribe. Give us five stars. Tell your friends about it. Uh, if you want to read more of Jay, uh, go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable. You'll get 40% off a subscription. This is our first episode of the week. Uh, for subscriber-only episode coming later in the week. Uh, and again, please rate, subscribe. All that stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!